I love smoked paprika. I like, I, I can't get enough of it. I just love the smoky flavor of it. So they usually take my recipe and then they go into their test kitchens. Sometimes it's fine and I hear nothing else. And then I see it appear in the magazine a couple months later. Sometimes the editor will come back to me and be like, you know, I think there was just a little too much smoked paprika in this recipe. Like, <laughs> that's that's always that the comment that you get back. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I interview again... Emma Christensen, who is a food writer. And if you recall, we just recently interviewed Emma about also uh, brewing beer, home brewing, because she has written two cookbooks about how to home brew beer and also kombucha and other things like that. Anyways, Emma, in addition to just being really interested in beer, is really interested in cooking overall and food writing overall. And that is her main day job is food writing. And she writes the best recipes that I have ever seen. So I had to have her back on the show. I mean, first of all, she writes um, really interesting recipes and comes up with such tasty and delicious things. And, you know, there's it, she's been in the game for a while. So she has hundreds and hundreds of recipes that she's written. But also just the way that she writes her recipes. And we talk about this during the interview is done in such a fun and awesome way. She's just such a good food writer like writing recipes would never occur to me as the thing that you could have much variation on or that you can make fun or playful or anything but she really really found a good way to do it and she used to be one of the head food writers at the kitchen.com i don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that it's kitchen k-i-t-c-h-n uh so no i at the end um but it's a really popular website she is currently one of the food writers for simplyrecipes.com which is another one you guys would probably recognize um anyways any of her recipes are just so fun to cook along with and read what she's doing. And she comes up with absolutely fantastic recipes. I'm going to put links to my site to some of them. Uh, we made the best enchiladas I've probably ever had in my entire life the other night. And they were veggie enchiladas. They were squash enchiladas. And they it was one of her recipes that my wife came across. And, uh, and yeah, she is just... I have never come across a food writer that I that I enjoy as much as Emma. So I am uh, honored to have her here on the show and tell us all about what it is like. So without further ado, here is Food Writer. Emma, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we uh, start at the very, very beginning of food writing and talk about the cooking that you do and to the, get to the beginning of that... Tell us how you get inspired to create new recipes. I assume that it is on you to create these new recipes, right? It's not like they give yeah. you ideas. Like it's it's up to you to come up with them, right? Well, you know, 99% of the time, yeah, it's me coming up with the recipes. Ever sometimes like when you develop a relationship with a particular publication, like they might come to me and say, "Hey, Emma, like we know you really love oatmeal." <laughs> develop an oatmeal recipe for us or you know they'll come to me with a particular idea um but yeah for the most part even in those situations then i would take their suggestion and be like okay well here are five things that i could maybe do with oatmeal 
Wait, Emma, was that just a weird coincidence that you just said that? Or please tell me that you really do have some bomb oatmeal recipe. I've been like a huge oatmeal kick lately, and I have one, like a little recipe that I've been loving. So please tell me you have an awesome oatmeal recipe. I actually do have a really amazing oatmeal recipe. I'm developing it and working on it, hopefully to publish in January. It's actually um, random background information. My dad owns a bakery in Northfield, uh, Minnesota. It's called the Brick Oven Bakery. If anyone is by there, go stop on in. Anyway, they do this amazing steel-cut oats like overnight i think they do it in like a um uh like a pressure cooker and it just makes like the creamiest oatmeal i've ever had in my life and i'm really hoping to figure out how ad- how to adapt it from the large scale restaurant size portions to uh, a more home worthy uh portion yeah for sure uh, so stay tuned for that <laughs> i could only imagine how good it would turn out overnight in a pressure cooker like that yeah. that's so much uh, that's like very intensive work for for some oatmeal yeah. well it, yeah anyway that that <laughs> takes us we can have a whole separate um interview about oatmeal and <laughs> the the awesome ways that we can make oatmeal <laughs> i've been doing my oatmeal and my i recently finally got myself a rice cooker because my wife mm-hmm. and i make asian food probably like 80 percent of the time that we cook and so we're like always making rice and we just always make it in a regular like pot or a pan and we always like burn the rice to the sides of the pot and the pan. like it's so yeah. hard you know and so we finally got a rice cooker and i'm like kicking myself for not having gotten one like you know 10 years ago and immediately i threw some like oats in there to make oatmeal and it freaking rules like it's by far the best oatmeal i've ever had try so try soaking the oats overnight and then doing them in the rice cooker and just seeing what you get because that's basically what this recipe is it's like a soaking and like the the oats get super hydrated and then you put it in the pressure cooker or the rice cooker either way and yeah it just makes it like I don't know what it does on a, you know, molecular level <laughs> to the oatmeal, but something amazing. <laughs> so do you, do you have any like weird parts to your, to the recipes that you make? Like, I feel like mine's pretty standard. I put like milk in there. I put honey, I put cinnamon and I put uh, dried cranberries. I feel like all that just is, is kind of like basic, like very typical. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you do that's like super weird? No, no. And in fact, that's not my style of cooking, really. Like, I admire it and occasionally dabble in some of that kind of like more molecular gastronomy, like, yeah. you know, cool technique t- kind of stuff. But my bread and butter, so to speak, is uh, just plain home cooking. Like, whatever you, whatever equipment you have, whatever kind of kitchen you're working in, whatever skill level you have, like, I want, I just want you to be able to make a good meal oatmeal or lasagna or whatever it is that you want to make so you're not doing Um, like turmeric and smoked paprika oatmeal or anything like that i don't (laughs) other people do yeah right on (laughs) although that doesn't sound that bad i mean savory oatmeal that's a that's a thing yeah i'll write that one down (laughs) (laughs) for sure all right so So, uh, i get inspiration everywhere okay yeah so yeah yeah, we like went full circle here so let's talk more about the inspiration piece so you need to come up with these recipes you said 99 percent of the time you're doing it yourself um where does most of your inspiration come from do you just kind of wait until you're inspired when you're out and about in the world or do you have to like sit down for like 12 hours at a computer and try to find inspiration (laughs) Definitely the uh, former, not the latter. Yeah, I get inspired by everything, Um, like conversations like this that I have with people where they talk about oatmeal and how much they like oatmeal. And then I get an idea for something, you know, oh, I could try this technique or this new flavor. Um, I get inspired when I'm out at restaurants and I try something new and I think about, you know, how I could bring that back into the home kitchen 
I get inspired by, I mean, I get a, you know, the ways you might expect, like I get a ton of cooking magazines. I have a whole wall of cookbooks. Um, I read food blogs all the time. And that's just kind of my casual, like what I like to do. Like I'll be watching TV and just flipping through magazines or cookbooks. And um, I just pay attention to whenever something catches my eye, like, like, you know, I'll be flipping along and then I'm like, oh, you know, that's an interesting way to do stuffing for Thanksgiving turkey, like, or, oh, that's, I wouldn't have thought of that particular flavor with that dessert. Or, you know, you just kind of pay attention to that little, like, the little, like, voice inside you that is just like, ooh, that, that sounds good. <laughs> like, let's, let's figure something out with that. And um, so then what, you just try to modify it in some way? Or, or what do you, where do you go from there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, from there, sometimes I make the recipe straight. Um, like if, like if I'm say reading sunset magazine and I, I come across a cake recipe, I just did this recently. There was a, an apple cream tort tart, something like that in a recent sunset magazine. And I was just like, Oh, that sounds really good, but I have kind of no idea what it's going to taste like. I'm, I'm just curious to try it. So I just made the recipe exactly the way they wrote it. And in that process, um, I mean, I've been doing this now for eight years, so my brain just works on a lot of different levels when I'm making these recipes. Even as I was making that recipe, I was thinking like, ooh, you know what? I might like to caramelize these apples next time. Or, you know, I think this might be really nice with some almond in it. Or what if I did cream cheese? I can make this into kind of like a breakfast thing. So you kind of, as I'm making somebody else's recipe, I'm already thinking about ways that... Um, modify the ways that I could modify it or the ways that I could bring in other flavor inspirations that I've had from other sources and essentially by the end of the process, <clears throat> make it my own. Um, you know, nothing is ever truly new in the food world. That's right, something you hear a lot. Like humans have been making food for ever, <laughs> obviously. So there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun really, but it's really about, um, kind of putting your own spin on something and, and bringing your own personality, your own flavors, your own just kind of creativity to a recipe. Um, sometimes too, it's like, um, adapting a, like maybe I'll find a stovetop recipe and I think it will be really good in the slow cooker. So I adapt that recipe to the slow cooker. Um, things like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's like the start of the process. That's at least the the initial concept stage. And then once I have a working recipe of my own that I'm kind of ready to go test, then I actually take it into the kitchen. Okay. And give it a try. Yeah. Is your house just like loaded with spices and different like interesting things in your pantry and your fridge and stuff like that? That way when you're kind of playing around with these ideas, you you know, these things are actually available to you? Yeah. <laughs> I have kind of a mad scientist kitchen. Um, my, I have tons of equipment, um, you know, saucepans and bowls and whatever in like every size imaginable. And then, yeah, in the course of recipe testing, like as you probably have in your own kitchen, like you want turmeric for a recipe, but you only use a teaspoon of it and then you have half the bottle left over. So just eventually in the course of these things, you collect a lot of just random ingredients um, that you have stored away. So yeah, for the most part, I've, I've got a lot of stuff in my kitchen already. Um, and then I live close to two grocery stores and I'm there maybe 
at least three times a week <laughs> picking up random things that yeah. I need. Do yeah. you have anything in your own personal cooking that it, that you use like really, really frequently? Like I use cumin, cumin, I don't know, people say it both ways, uh, in absolutely everything. And like to, to like a fault, you know, but it's like, <laughs> I, I, it's like, it, I just don't know a meal that it doesn't taste good in except for maybe yes. oatmeal. Um, but it's, it's like, it's good in everything. So I just throw it on like everything. Uh, do you have anything like that? Like so, sort of like go-to I spices? I love smoked paprika. I like, I, I can't get enough of it. I just love the smoky flavor of it. I think it adds, it's like you with the cumin. I think it just Whatever I'm making, as long as it's a savory dish, like roasted potatoes, mm, like lasagna, I don't anything, anything. It just, I love that smoky flavor. So yeah, I'm kind of a smoked paprika freak. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. And there's so many probably interesting things you could then do um, in combinations with like beverages and stuff like that. If you get that mm, smoky flavor in there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> interesting. So how many times do you usually test a recipe before you're like, yep, this is good to go? Yeah. I test a recipe at least twice. Um, ideally I do it three times. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't need a third time. Like if it's something really, really simple. Um, and sometimes I just run out of time and, and, you know, don't have time to do it a third time, but three would be ideal at least two. If I end up making it more than like, actually, if I end up making it more than three times, or if I make it three times and I'm like, it's not quite there yet, then something else is going on. Like, I feel like there's something with the recipe, like that I need to rethink the flavor combinations. I need to rethink the technique. Like in the, I need, yeah, I kind of need to not quite go back to the drawing board, but I need to definitely rethink things. Um, but within two to three times, usually I, I feel pretty confident that I've nailed it. When you either feel like it's not going well or on the, uh, like inverse of that, when you feel like it has gone really well and you're like ready to publish it, let's say, um, do you make sure to have somebody else try it to like verify what you're thinking? You know, that would be, that would, that would be awesome. And I would, I would love to have recipe testers on every single one of my recipes and it's just, it, no, it doesn't happen. Um, it's a little too, the logistics of it are a little too hard for, for, for most just kind of everyday writing. Some publications have that built into the system. For instance, I do some writing for Fine Cooking Magazine and they, um, I develop it, I take it to the point where I think this is ready, like I'm happy with it, I've written the recipe, I've checked the recipe, tested it, send it off to them and they have their whole own internal testing process. So they usually take my recipe and then they go into their test kitchens and Sometimes it's fine and I hear nothing else. And then I see it appear in the magazine a couple months later. Sometimes the editor will come back to me and be like, you know, I think there was just a little too much smoked paprika in this recipe. Like, <laughs> that's that's always that the comment that you get back. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, anyway, that, that's one publication that um, they're really good about testing it. And, and plus a lot of these publications, like they want you and your style and your creativity, but they also have to kind of take that and modify it a little bit for their particular audience and make sure it fits with like the fine cooking brand. So they want to make sure that it, um, they want to put their own kind of little tweaks on it and make sure it checks out for all of the things that they're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. So with a lot of, of jobs out there, people will say that it, um, 
or, or hobbies that people have. Like if I'll talk to someone that let's say is really into rock climbing or really into surfing or something like that. And it's like, did you ever think about and, and that are just like super good at it. And it's like, do you ever think about like trying to make that your job? And they're like, absolutely not. Like as soon as I made that, if I were to like make that my job, or maybe they even went through a little period of time where it was their job. And it's like, I just somehow, yeah. boom, I just, I started not enjoying it as much. Have you ever had to deal with that with cooking? Do you still have the same like love of cooking that you always had? <clears throat> yeah. Um, that was actually a real concern of mine when I first started going down this route. I was in um, textbook publishing, college textbook publishing for years um, after I was out of college and kind of got into cooking gradually. And at some point in there, I was like, you know what? I think I might like to do this for my job. And I definitely had an internal conversation where I was like, do I want to make this my work? Because if I do, there's a chance that I'm just going to you know, get, get burned out on it and not enjoy it anymore. Um, obviously I did end up deciding <laughs> to go down that route. Although I did make a very conscious decision at the beginning. Um, I felt like I could either go into, um, restaurant reviewing, being a restaurant critic, or I could go into home cooking, but I wanted one of those things to stay just pure pleasure. And in the end, various, you know, things happened, jobs worked out, et cetera, et cetera. And I ended up going down the home cooking route professionally, but I keep restaurants like that's, that's just pleasure. Like I, when I'm eating out at a restaurant, I am not thinking about cooking, well, except for the, some of the inspiration that comes along, but I'm not thinking about criticizing it or anything like that's just, I'm there to enjoy that experience. That's so I think awesome. That helps. That helps for me anyways, to kind of have some you know, some spaces where food is still just 100% pleasure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what a nice spot to have that. Cause in a restaurant, you don't have to deal with any cleanup. You don't have to deal exactly. with any, you know, it can be a much more pleasurable thing, albeit more exactly. expensive, but yeah, much more pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for home cooking, you know, it's, um, like any job you do, I think there's an ebb and a flow of, like, I love this. It's amazing. And then other times when you're just like, oh my God, this is just grunt work. I just need to like get this recipe out and just, uh, I don't, I can't even deal with it. And I think partly you just kind of have to let that ebb and flow happen. Um, I have actually been kind of surprised at how much I still am completely passionate about food writing and about home cooking. Um, I've been doing it now for almost nine years. I think about nine years ago, I was in culinary school and started getting some of my first food writing gigs. So yeah, about nine years ago. Um, and yeah, I still love it. I still, I, I, I get inspired by things all the time. I want to try new things. I think my one regret right now is actually that I don't have time to just cook for fun <laughs> a lot of times. Well, not only time, but also I cook so much for my job that I always have leftovers. <laughs> so we're just yeah. always eating leftovers in the fridge. And um, like I get all of these cookbooks. I have all of these cookbooks that I use for inspiration and reference. And I rarely get to just like straight cook from them. Um, so I've been trying. That's actually been a, a goal of mine this fall is I really want to <laughs> cook, cook for my cookbooks a lot more. That's so interesting. So yeah, man, having a job is, so, it's so weird that when something becomes a job, like the way it can, can alter things. Cause I think most people yeah. would hear that and think like, well, what's the difference? Either way, you just made some awesome food at your house. What's the difference if you just made it for yourself or if you made it because you were, you know, trying to come up with a recipe or something. But uh, yeah, it's weird how, uh, how some like little internal 
thing like changes, you know, and it's like not the same. Yeah. It has to do with your mental space. I think, you know, when I'm testing a recipe or developing a recipe or, um, I shoot, I photograph a lot of my own food. So a lot of times I'm also factoring in, how does this look? How is this, how do I want to style this? You know, there are all these kind of analytical things that are going on in my head, which I love as part of my job, but sometimes I just want to cook a recipe and I don't want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to have to have all those factors in, or I want to feel like I'm being more inspired and cooking in a creative way rather than thinking in this or than cooking in this analytical way. Um, right. So I it's not the same as both. like when I cook, I'll like throw on some jazz and like have a glass of red wine and just like relax. You're saying you just don't really get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yes, essentially. Although I do, I always have music on when I'm cooking. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have particular soundtracks that like, I feel like help me focus, but I don't, I'm not usually drinking red wine <laughs> yeah. during the day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the writing aspect of this. So I have to say, I absolutely love your food writing. It's so, so, oh, so good. Like you. I, I feel like it's so, um, like personal and personable and uh it's it's so easy i would imagine as somebody that writes recipes and stuff like that to just make it like this is what you do you know like and that's <laughs> yeah. like the extent of the entire thing and yours you there's always like a little something more before just the recipe part and kind of when you're going over the instructions and things that people should look out for and stuff like that and it's done in a uh, in like a really fun way and it's also not overkill. It's not like you, you know, you wrote like two pages about the time that you were in like Madagascar and you found this <laughs> recipe. And it's like, that's cool. Like, I'm really happy that you went to Madagascar, but I'm just trying to make this thing. It's like you found, you struck yeah. this perfect balance between like, let's have a little bit of fun here and like write something um, that people can enjoy reading, um, but not just like inundate them with personal story or something. It's like, it's, it's just so, so good. Um, well, thank you. That is, you have just described like my goal with every recipe. Oh, really? <laughs> so, well, you nailed yeah, it. I'm so I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so if, yeah. I, so I found your recipes because of meeting you and being like, I need to check out her recipes. And ironically <laughs> enough, in the same week, uh, my wife was wanting to get more into cooking. She's like, I'm going to make us food a couple nights this week, and. Uh, and she just randomly came across two of your recipes. Like she was just looking <laughs> for cool recipes. And she's like, by any chance, is is this the girl that you're going to be interviewing? And I was like, holy shit, that is the girl. <laughs> like, what are the odds on awesome. that? And uh, and so the two things were so good, by the way. One of them was uh, your meatball recipe. The other one was bonkers. It was uh, these like veggie enchiladas that she made. Uh, I think it was oh, uh, yeah. like squash inside and it was like chipotle um, sort of like, oh man, it was so, so good. Except for we put a bunch of cheese on top. Um, cause Always we were cheese. just like making it more bad. I guess maybe it was supposed yeah. to be like vegan enchiladas or something. And we made them <laughs> just like vegetarian enchiladas. Um, but oh man, it, yeah, I will definitely put a link to those on the half hour intern site for this episode. Cause that would, those were probably the best enchiladas I've ever had. And we've been trying to think of more like vegetarian or vegan things that we can eat sometimes, you know, cause you like, you look through mm -hmm. your day and it's like, wow, out of the last like 20 meals that I've eaten over the past, like, f you know, five days, 19 of them had meat in it, you know? And like, mm -hmm. that's just, it's kind of weird. So, uh, it's really awesome to have something to have really tasty things that don't have meat, which is, uh, difficult because meat imparts so much flavor onto a meal. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, that is great to hear. I, that just makes me 
so I'm sitting in my seat right now, just like beaming. I just, I love, I love, I mean, obviously like the egotistical part of me loves getting feedback like, like that, but also it's just so satisfying. I mean, this is why I'm a food writer. I like, I want people who are just like, you know, I want to cook more at home. I want to cook more vegetarian food. Although not all of my recipes are vegetarian. I, I do pretty much everything. Um, I, like, I want people like you to find these recipes and cook them and love them and then love home cooking. I, I think that's, oh, that just makes me really happy. So, and by the way, before I forget, you should check out, do a search on the kitchen, um, which is the website I, I wrote for, for many years for, um, I forget the exact name. I think it's slow cooker vegetable chickpea curry. I think it is. That's one of the best vegan recipes I think I've, I've ever personally eaten or created like that's that's a great recipe i love so. like every word that you just said like <laughs> curry chickpea it. it's all good to me that sounds yeah. awesome um so let's talk about the kind of writing style that sure. you have developed and everything so i would imagine that this is something that you tried to develop right like I, what are some of the ways that that you're writing you feel like has changed from when you first started writing to the way that it is now and uh have you tried to make it like more fun for yourself or more fun for the people reading or, or, you know, what's your whole process? Yeah. Yeah. All of the above. Um, so I think I'm like thinking back to my, myself when I was, you know, 2008, when I was starting to write, um, it like, you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, I was a creative writing undergrad. So I came into this kind of already having a, you know, I, I felt very, fairly confident about the writing side of, of, recipe writing and food writing. Um, but it still takes time to develop, a to develop your style, um, to figure out what works. Um, I was writing for this website, um, thekitchen.com and their whole, um, focus from the very beginning was on home cooking, was on teaching just regular home cooks who maybe have two pans and a mini fridge in their tiny little, you know, New York apartment or whatever, helping them cook good meals. And so, there was a feedback process there of we would post a recipe and then we'd get comments on the recipe and the comments would be like, awesome. I've been looking for more one pan recipes because I only own one pan in my kitchen <laughs> or like, why are you calling for turmeric? I've never heard of this spice. Like, don't use that anymore. You know, and you get, you're kind of like, okay, that's a data point. Like I'm going to go toward this direction and write in this way. And it, my personal writing style just really evolved over time. It was like one recipe at a time, getting the feedback, thinking about it, writing the next recipe, getting the feedback, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I found that there was like a, a happy medium there where I loved to talk about the process of making the recipe. I, I loved to give people kind of all the tips, all the context, all the information that I felt like they needed to be successful making that recipe, to be, to feel confident going into the kitchen, making that recipe. There's a happy medium there with what people wanted. <laughs> so you, sometimes you can go overboard and give a little too much information. Like you don't want to make a recipe that's essentially very simple, seem really complicated by all this other context that you're giving. So, oh, you know, good it's, point. it's been a, it's, it's a process. And I feel like I, at this point, um, have it down pretty pat. Uh, what so you're I saying like that like, if you're, if you're writing a recipe and the, the part that I like enjoyed about your recipes, this like kind of extra writing that you do, if, if, if in that extra writing, you're saying like, okay, like look out for this one thing. And if, and if you add too much water here, then it's going to do this. And if you were to do this, then it's going to do this. And if you do this, then it's going to do this. People are just gonna be like, holy shit. 
I think I'm just going to skip that one and like (laughs) go to the next one because it sounds like there's way too many things to look out for. All be you know, and and it it's not that there's too much to look out for. You're just trying to like give extra information. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I try to be extremely positive in all of my writing, meaning I. I think there are a lot of sites out there that are very good, but they tend to make cooking seem scary. It's like, oh, if you don't use, you know, stone ground polenta in this recipe, it's just not going to be good. You're going to fail at it. Or if you don't cut this exactly one inch cube, it, you, you might as well just not make the recipe. Like there are, it, they make it seem really scary. Like you have to follow these exact steps and you cannot deviate or you'll fail. And I just feel like that is, that's one approach, but my approach is just much more supportive, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, and agreed. a little calmer, like in any recipe you make, you're going to have, you, you need, you, or I, as the recipe developer need to allow for a certain amount of variance. Like nobody's going to get out, no home cook in my experience is really going to get out a ruler and double check that their cubes of butternut squash are exactly one inch square. Like that's ridiculous. I would never do that in my own cooking. I'm not going to expect you to do that either. And if the recipe hinges on those butternut squash cubes being exactly one inch square, then I feel like I haven't done a good job as a recipe developer. I feel like there needs to be a little, a little wiggle room for whatever, you know, whatever thing that you're doing in there. So Basically, when I'm when I'm writing those headnotes, when I'm writing the intro, I kind of want to call out the places where I actually think it is important to pay attention, or where maybe you know if you have an extra five minutes, you might try doing this thing. Um, but you know, don't worry about it if you don't. Or you know, I just want to kind of give people confidence, make it feel like they have a certain amount of um, ownership over the recipe that it's okay if they don't, you know do everything perfectly, they'll still end up with a really tasty meal. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking about as I'm writing. And I'm also trying to think like, when I'm writing this, I'm always writing to somebody. Like I'm thinking like, how would I describe this to my best friend? How would I describe this to my mother? How I would, how would I say this to, you know, give these people a feeling of confidence and just kind of reassurance and make it fun. Like (laughs) cooking should be fun. Like if it's not, then you won't keep doing it. Absolutely. And another skill that I feel like you have, uh, that's just so great for food writing and so great in life that, that is a skill that not a lot of people have is you really know the right things to explain and you really know then the right way to explain those things. So, um, a lot of people, when they want to explain something, they'll give a bunch of like superfluous information where it's like, okay, I I didn't really need to know that, you know, and, or then there'll be an important piece of information and they just explain it in a way that's just really hard to grasp, you know, or like that yeah. it's like, I don't, you know, know why you're saying it this way or whatever. And it's like, I feel like, yeah, yeah, you, you do such a good job at choosing the right things to explain and then explaining them, like you said, in, in this very like fun, practical, just like super easy to grasp way. And I think like a great, like a great example of that is in that meatball recipe, you, um, you just lay out like a couple things that people might notice in the way that they're cooking the meatballs. And then it's like, okay. And if you, by the way, if you want like a more crispy meatball, then do this. If you want like a more soggy meatball, then do this. And you'll kind of notice these things as you're like rolling them or whatever. And it's cool like that because then it's almost like part science, part 
part cooking you know so it, it's like uh, when you say something like oh you might notice this like as you're rolling the meatball and then you're like rolling the meatball and then you do notice it it's like oh whoa <laughs> like she told it's happening you know it's like a science experiment as a little kid or something you know yeah, um yeah. and i love that yeah that's the sweet spot that's what i aim for and you know some of that just comes from doing this for so many years like i have no idea how many recipes i've developed over the last eight to nine years, a lot, a lot of recipes. And so there are things now that I just know, like I, I know what will happen if you toast the bread cubes longer than 15 minutes. Like I just, I, I have that kind of experience and want to put that into the recipes that I make. And some of it is the feedback loop. Like sometimes something new will happen and I'll get a comment that's just like, Hey, you know, my bread cubes were really soggy. And I kind of, I'll email them back and be like, well, what did you do? What was your process? And I'll discover something like, oh, they, you know, didn't set a timer and just assumed it was 15 minutes and it really wasn't, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of get more information, get more data. And then that is information that I can then reapply back into future recipes that I make. Yeah. Love it. Um, what is the editing process like once you have, mm -hmm. do you just write it once and that's it? Or do you like edit the thing afterwards? Well, it's funny. I could, so I am both a food writer and an editor. I, I work for a, a website called Simply Recipes, and I'm their managing editor as well as a food writer for them. Um, and so I kind of, <laughs> I kind of wear both hats. Even when I'm not writing for Simply Recipes, if I'm writing for Fine Cooking or any other place, like I'm still kind of always wearing my editor hat. Um, but usually the process is um, from start to finish. It's I'll get ex I'll get inspired by a recipe. I write it down on paper before I even go into the kitchen. I, you know, I write down all the steps, I write down all the ingredients. I have like my game plan. Then I go into the kitchen I make the recipe. I use a different color pen, you know, stay organized. And I write notes on that recipe and, you know, oh, this only took five minutes or, oh, actually ended up using two teaspoons of cinnamon here. Um, write all that down. And then I go back and usually I try to type up the recipe. So it's actually is looking more like a recipe. And then I make it again, uh, following that recipe. And then I go back into my office and, and do my editing part. And it's at that point, it's usually, so usually I've written the recipe. I feel like the recipe itself is pretty much finished. And then I write the head notes. That's when I go back and I'm like, okay, what's my hook? Like, how am I going to get people excited about making this recipe? And sometimes that's a little story. Sometimes it's like, you know, uh, I've never had brownies this good. Like, let me tell you all about these amazing brownies that I made. There's some, you got to have some kind of hook at the beginning. And then I go into the post and I talk about, you know, some of the things that we've talked about here. Like I, I talk about the tips. I talk about like, oh, be sure you use a, you know, wide spatula for this recipe or, um, yeah, I'll give the kind of the other context parts of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I'll, I usually, <laughs> I work on that for a while. I edit it myself. I look for grammar. I try my best at grammar. I'm not, I, I'm pretty nitpicky about grammar, but, uh, I, I would not say that I'm a, I'm definitely not a copy editor <laughs> level. So I do my best with the grammar. Um, and then someone else will times. do it for you after that. Yeah. Usually, um, especially if I'm sending it to a place like fine cooking or, um, uh, any other outlet, like they have their own copy editing, editing system. So for most of these recipes that you're coming up with, is this is this like, I know you've worked for, um, like actual 
companies in the past. Like they employed you specifically Mm -hmm. like at kitchen and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you get paid a salary when you're working like that? Or is it still almost like a freelance gig, but like they kind of have you while you're doing freelance, like, you know, you're contracted with them to do freelance work. And when you do regular freelance work, like you were saying, doing things for fine cooking and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, is that, do you get paid like per recipe that you write and like you are just trying to like crank out as many as possible to get paid yeah yeah um it really depends on the on the publication on the on where it is with the kitchen i was an actual employee so um i just i got a regular salary it was just like working any job any other job and it's the same with simply recipes now like i am an employee and i just you know i work nine to five most days and um with both of those jobs, it was like half editing. Um, half of the time I'm kind of working with other freelancers and, you know, I'm on that side of the process, bringing in their recipes, editing them, making them ready for publication. And then the other half the time I'm writing, developing, you know, all, all recipes myself. Um, and so for when I'm working for the kitchen or for Simply Recipes, with those companies, they have like an editorial calendar. We were planning out recipes far in advance. And so there's was a process of like, okay, I know next month I've got, you know, four recipes that I'm going to have to develop. I need to plan out my time to make sure I have those recipes done on time. Um, but then for publications for like fine cooking, um, I've done a little work with um, Vegetarian Times a while ago um, uh, and other various just magazines and publications. With them, it's often um, I will pitch them an idea. I'll say like, "Hey, I've got an idea for um, a an enchilada recipe," and they'll say, "Great, that sounds awesome. Um, why don't you have it to us by this date next month?" Um, and I will do all my work and I'll get it to them by that date. And you know, publications are are different sometimes. Um, Sometimes they just will take one at a time and you just kind of like, that's how it works. And sometimes they'll take as many as they can get from you at a time. It's really, when you're at, when you're a freelancer, it's really the main advantage of being a freelancer is that it's like just totally on your schedule. Like if, if you're going on vacation next month and you only want to do two recipes, then that's all you do. But if you are trying to make, you know, a full-time income, then you just try to grab up as many jobs and gigs and you know, various freelancing opportunities as you possibly can to put it all together. Is it pretty difficult to make a living doing a freelance? I think it is. I I mean, and some people love it. Some people love that the hustle of, you know, trying to find more outlets and trying to, you know, make sure that they are pitching out ideas. Um, I do not. (laughs) Like, I love having a regular job. And then I do some freelancing on the side. But you know, that's my choice. Like I get to do it just kind of when I feel like it. Um, for me personally, yeah, just the hustle of you spend like at least a third, if not a half year time, just trying to find places to publish things. And yeah, I just, (laughs) that wasn't for me, but some people do love it. I have lots of friends who do, who are entirely freelance based and they love it. So give us some uh, tips here, Emma. What are some of your favorite food blogs and your favorite Mm. cookbooks to just like go to for inspiration? Yeah. Um, Gosh, my favorite. So 
I get a lot of inspiration from magazines. So I read Fine Cooking, Sunset Magazine, and Lucky Peach. Those are like the three yeah, primary magazines that every issue they come out, I, I just you know, swallow them whole. I love them all. Um, for cookbooks, I tend to collect a lot, or I, I have two kinds of cookbooks in my collection. One I use as reference. They're kind of general books, and I just think they have solid recipes. Whenever I'm developing a recipe, I kind of go and see what they've done just to kind of, you know, check on things like, oh, how long will this take to cook? Or what did they do with spices? And and those cookbooks are um, uh, How to Cook Everything by Mark Bittman. That's a big one. Um, the King Arthur baking book that came out many years ago. That was actually the first cookbook I ever bought. Um, which other ones do I have? I use The Joy of Cooking a lot. Like, that's just good for basic reference. Um, and then I have a lot of cookbooks that I just use for inspiration. Um, uh, Yotomo Tolangi um, does a lot of uh, Middle Eastern cooking and um, uh, his stuff is fantastic. His cookbooks are just solid. Um, he has a baba ganoush recipe that I just, I make it every year as much as I can when <laughs> eggplants are in season. They're so good. Um, and gosh, who else do I have? I have so many cookbooks. <laughs> I bet I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, and in terms of uh, in terms of blogs, um, I read a lot. I I follow a lot of my friends. Um, so like a Sweet Spoonful is one of them. Um, uh, I have a friend who does a yogurt website called Team Yogurt. I follow that. Um, uh, a pinch of yum is one I really like. Weelicious. If you have kids, if anyone, any of your listeners have kids, Wheelicious is just a fantastic site. Um, what's Gabby cooking? Again, I have so many that it's like <laughs> we could spend the rest of the time me just rattling off um, <laughs> websites and cookbooks. Yeah, for sure. Why don't you um, send me some links to some of your favorite ones if you have some time to like think about it afterwards, and I'll just go ahead and put them all up on the post on Half Hour Intern, and that way people yeah. can uh, check them out. Great. So what would you say if you had to narrow it down to like one single thing is the coolest part about being a food writer? By far the coolest part of being a food writer is stories like you were just telling me earlier where people are like, oh my God, I was looking for a recipe and I came across one of your recipes. I realized that this was Emma Christensen, who I knew. Um, people often take photos of if they see my book in, in the wild, <laughs> in bookstores where they are at, they take a photo and they're like, Emma, I saw your cookbook. Um, that's so cool. That just is, it's so satisfying and it's just, it's fun to reach out and fun to kind of know that you're connecting with people. Um, for me, that's definitely, that's definitely the most satisfying and arguably the most coolest part of being a food writer. Yeah. Um, the most coolest. <laughs> It's also fun. I, I get a lot of cookbooks. I have a lot of contacts at publishers. So often cookbooks will just arrive in my mail and I'm like, Ooh, mail time. That's <laughs> like, so nice. What did I get today? So that's kind of a, that's a, that's a perk I would say. Yeah, for sure. What I do. Yeah. So Emma, let's finish this thing up with some advice for people. So how can someone get a job like this? It sounds absolutely awesome. Would you recommend more somebody have a writing background like you or more the fact that somebody had gone to like cooking school? Like what, mm. what is the preferred background for a job like this? I don't think there is necessarily like a single background that, um, that is most successful. I think that the key is that you be passionate 
I think whatever it is, like for me, it's connecting with home cooks. I just, I, that's what drives me every single day, every single recipe I create. That's what I love. Other people, um, it's that they um, found a new way of eating that just really works for them, and they're really excited about it. Um, wait, or, wait, wait! Found a new way of eating? What is? Oh, for <laughs> themselves. Sorry, mean? for themselves. I was thinking, like, I have a friend who who does a paleo blog. Have you heard of the the paleo diet? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so she has a paleo. Like, she um, has some health history and kind of discovered the paleo diet and has just really fallen in love with it. Feels really good and healthy working on, you know, as she's on this diet, and um, uh, and so that's what her blog is about. And she's just really pa- passionate about. That's so funny when you said found a new way of eating. I was picturing like <laughs> you know chew each bite exactly one hundred <laughs> times or like you know. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, not quite, not quite like that. Um, but whatever it is, basically, just be passionate about it and have what you're writing about, what you want to write about, have it come from that place of passion. Um, and then I think the other pieces kind of work themselves out. Um, I think, I think you just have to start somewhere. You can't, you know, if you're not the best writer, just start writing and just just every day, every week, put yourself in a schedule, keep writing those posts and you'll gradually get better. You're not going to be awesome at first, but you'll, you know, get better over time. And the same with developing recipes. I think if you love cooking and want to start food writing, but maybe you don't have the experience of developing a recipe, just start with making recipes that you think are good. Then think about changing a couple things about that recipe. And then, try developing your own recipe, but then use a couple of those other like cookbooks and magazines as reference and kind of you gradually train yourself in how to develop an original recipe. Um, yeah. And then, and then in terms of kind of the practicality of actually getting work, I think it's best to start with a blog, get yourself in the habit of doing this writing and your blog food blogs these days are almost more about, they're almost like your portfolio or your part of your resume than they are anything else. So make sure you have some good body of work that you are really proud of on that, on that, on that, uh, food blog. And then just start contacting people. Like I get emails all the time from people who either want advice or they want to write for simply recipes or things like that. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes I'm like, you know, here's some advice, work on it, contact me again in a year and we'll see where things are at. Um, and local papers are a really good place to start. Um, good call, the edible yeah. communities. Um, yeah. Lo- so like actually your local city papers, they are always looking for food writers and are usually very warm and very welcoming and very helpful. Um, and then the edible communities are, a, um, they're like a network of, of food magazines that are in most of the major cities. So like we have an edible San Francisco an edible Oakland an edible Silicon Valley, and they do a lot of, um, you know, local content that's focused on local things that are happening and um, that they're also a very welcoming community and that's a good place to start. Um, And you just kind of work your way up. Um, If you love it, then I think you keep doing it and it works. And if you give it a try for a little while and it just seems like not your passion and not the thing that you want to do, then that's cool. You go do something else. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, just one step at a time. That's great. But it's the type of thing that it sounds like you can break into with a lot of passion. It's not like, oh man, if you didn't have a writing degree, you're screwed. Oh no. Yeah, definitely not. I think there are a lot of ways to get into it. Um, I did go to culinary school. I think that really helped me a lot. I, I I draw on my culinary degree 
every single day when I'm working on recipes, but you don't have to. Like, there are plenty of fantastic food writers out there who've who've never been to culinary school and never worked in restaurants. Um, it's it's about defining, honing your skills and working on knowing kind of where your weaknesses are and working on those parts and and just keeping at it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Emma, dude, thank you so much for coming back on the show and sharing yeah. this other side of your life with us. It's so awesome. And and like I said earlier, I like I cannot recommend that anyone listening, uh, I cannot recommend enough that people check out your stuff. I feel like it's written in such a uh, fun and approachable way. And uh, so, yeah, if you need any recipe ideas, uh, I will put links to everywhere that Emma has <laughs> written um, on the website. And, uh, and you should definitely check out those enchiladas because they are absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for coming on the show again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but uh, what are you going to do to help me out? Well, how about being a guest on Half Hour Intern? That is right. You could totally be a guest on this show. So if you have been sitting there listening to this show and thinking to yourself, you know what? I do this totally awesome thing for a living. Or you know what? I have this awesome hobby that I'm really, really passionate about and I would love to tell people about it. Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.